We are in our devoted series where we're asking ourselves, how can we improve our devotion to God? How can we improve our devotion to God? The first week of the series, which was a few weeks ago, we talked about why we even need to be devoted in the first place. And to put it very simply, uh, and to not just preach the entire sermon again, it's because God loves us. And since he loves us so deeply that he sent his son to die for us and to rise again so that we could be set free from our sins, we respond in our devotion. And so last week we talked about one of our what's. How do we become more devoted? How can we become more devoted? It was through our finances. Now this week and the weeks to come we'll focus on one main thing, but it'll be different areas of the one main thing. And that's our time. How can we devote our time more to God? Your time with God and your time serving God. This is what we're going to be talking about for basically the rest of the series. How can you devote more time serving God and loving on God? Serving God and worshiping God. And today we're talking about worshiping God. How can you spend your time worshiping God? And so this morning kind of serves as a kickoff. It, it kind of worked itself out, not by my plan, but because things got, had to get moved around, and I think God was just all in that, to where today we're talking about worship right before our worship nights. And so it's kind of kicking off what's going to be happening tonight at 7 p.m. and throughout uh, the first half of this week up to Wednesday. But when I was thinking about what am I going to speak on when I talk about worship that's not already going to be spoken throughout this week? And I thought of this, John chapter 4. It's a familiar passage for all of us. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. And so if, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've likely heard this before. But in John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and it has now come when we worship when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Do you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father and gracious God, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to come before you and worship you. Lord, as we take these moments to hear the words that you have for us, may you, may our full attention be on you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a, there's a story in the Church of England where the, a pastor and a worship leader of the church saw that their congregation lost its passion for worship. They were just singing the songs just to sing them. 
And it was during this time of worship that their, their worship in their other life, in the life outside of where they were, outside of the church building, had grown cold and passionless and without enthusiasm. And so the pastor announced to his congregation that they were not going to have a band, they weren't going to have any music or a sound system. He, he removed it from the sanctuary, all of those things. The, the speakers, the sound system, all of the instruments were gone from the church. And he announced that for a season in their church's life, they were only going to sing with their voices. That was it. They were just going to sing with their voices. Now, I'm not planning on doing that for a season, just for today. <laughs> but not for a season, but... I want to make a point and say that we cannot truly worship until we know what it is. And sometimes we get so lost in the motions of worship that we forget what true worship actually is. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want this time to focus on worship. And the reason for that is we can mimic worship. We can, we can truly just mimic worship. Like I said, we can get into the motions of worship. We can sing the songs. We can raise our hands. We can cross our arms. We can stand when we're told to. We can sit when we're told to. And we can easily fall into what we know as worship rather than what worship truly is. We can fall into the motions of worship rather than the heart of worship. We can do all the things, but even when we're doing all the things, we can actually never look at God. And so I want us to, to focus on your worship. I want you to go home today and think about it. How am I worshiping God in my daily life? But since we're here in this place, we're going to be talking more about corporate worship, congregational worship, all of us together in the building together worshiping. And there's a lot of scripture about worship, some of which you'll hear throughout the week, but what came to my mind was this passage in John chapter 4 because it said worship a lot. When I looked up the word worship in my, my software that I have, my Bible software, it was like John 4, John 4, John 4, because it just mentions it so much. And it's in this passage that we find this moment in Jesus' ministry where Jesus is at the well with the Samaritan woman. Now to remind you or maybe even to introduce you to this story that we find in John chapter 4, Jesus is going from Galilee and he's headed towards Judea. And he says he had to go through Samaria. Now, there's a lot of debate on whether um, he, Jewish people actually went around Samaria or if they were fine with going through. Either way, it was out of the context, out of the cultural context, for them to interact with Samaritans, whether they went through or not. And what Jesus knew was that he had to go through Samaria because he knew that he had to meet this woman. When he gets to the well, it's Jacob's well, which is important for the Jewish people because Jacob was the one who started the nation of Israel. He was the one that had the 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jacob's well was important. But the Samaritan woman comes to the well at about noon, which indicates that she was an outcast in society. Now, why does this uh, point us to think that she's an outcast? Well, it's simply because women would typically go and they would get the water. So that's not out of the culture, but what it is is that she came at noon. Women would, tr or would normally, in their culture, travel in groups so they could stay safer and they would travel in the morning where it's not as hot. So they could go in the cool of the morning, they would all gather their water together and they'd bring it back to their homes 
and, and they wouldn't get hot, they wouldn't sweat. Now, this woman who's coming at noon, it was at the hottest point of the day. She's getting uh, the water with no one else, which makes her, or she puts herself in a very dangerous situation because thieves could very easily take advantage. And just simply the, the heat, you know that it's harder to, to carry things in the heat than when it's in the cool. I'm not talking about cold, like just, just the nice cool, like nice cool mornings that we've been having. But when it's hot, you, you kind of get out of breath a little bit easier. It makes things a little bit heavier. And, and so it's not ideal for her, but what points us to that she's an outcast is that she's not with any of the women and she's by herself. And so when she is by herself and with no one else, it's probably for a reason. And this reason is probably because of her lifestyle, which Jesus reveals to her and to us later. But Jesus asked the Samaritan woman for a drink of water, which crosses the racial hatred that was between Jews and Samaritans. Now, a little bit of history. I'm not going to go in depth, but a little bit of these differences that Jews and Samaritans had was where they were going to worship, which is also brought up in this passage too, where they were supposed to worship. The Jews said that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. The Samaritans said we're supposed to worship on this particular mountain. But they also believed that they were the true descendants of Jacob, that they were the true chosen people of God. Now we know from Scripture that God chose the Jewish people and not the Samaritans. But since they had all of these theological differences, these theological reasons for why they thought that they were the chosen people of God, they often butted heads with each other. They didn't get along. And so when a Jew would come up to a Samaritan, it, it wouldn't be a good interaction if any interaction happened at all. And in this short interaction that Jesus has in his ministry, he tells the woman this, while she's at the well, drawing water from this well. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of the well, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to have to keep coming back for this water. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And to which the woman responds, I want this water. Yeah, give me this water. I, I want that water. I don't want to have to keep dragging all these, these jugs to fill up my water up here. I, I just want to, I, I want whatever water you're talking about. And then he responds by saying, go and bring your husband. Bring your husband up here. And this is where she starts to reveal, and what starts to reveal to us some of her lifestyle choices. She says, well, actually, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, I know. You got five. And the one that you're with, he's not your husband. And so you can imagine how, how jarring that might be if your deepest, darkest secret, your deepest, darkest sin, someone walks up to you and says, you know, I, I know that you've been doing this or that you haven't been doing this. I, I know. Right? It'd be kind of jarring. And basically what, what Jesus is doing, he's telling her everything that she's done wrong. All of her sins in her life. He says, I, I've, this is what you've done, and you know that you've done it. Other people probably know that you've done it too. 
But what happens next? It's in verse 19. Where the woman says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. And if we stop right there, just at verse 19, that makes complete sense. Because prophets were, had this connection with God that God would reveal things to them so that they could speak into others' lives so that they could repent and turn back to God. You see this throughout all, all of the prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah does, a, does it frequently where he will call out the sins of the nation of Israel to call them to repent and to turn back to God. And so prophets were all over the place, whether you're a false prophet or not, they probably had an idea. And so she recognizes, rightly recognizes, that he's probably a prophet if he is from a foreign land, coming into a foreign land to him, coming to her own territory, meets her by what she probably thinks is just an accident, comes together, and he tells her what she's done. It's like, you're probably just a prophet. What interests me was verse 20, where she immediately says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim to, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, maybe that doesn't strike you odd, but it strikes me odd, that immediately after Jesus says, Everything that you've done wrong, this is what it is, she says, Well, are we supposed to worship here or there? It doesn't seem like a response that we would have. But it's actually more like us than you think. You see, Samaritans believed that it was Mount Gerizim. Jews believed that it was the Temple of Jerusalem. But the question that she was asking was, Where am I supposed to worship? Where am I supposed to worship? Now, you can assume a lot of things on why she would bring up this question. Some people think, some scholars think that she was just trying to deter away from, from her guilt of her sins. Others think that she was genuinely curious, wanted to see if uh, what, what he thought since he was this prophet and he had this connection to God, where are we actually supposed to worship? You can think of all these things and they're all assumptions because scripture doesn't tell us why. But what I think is that when we look at this question, what she's really asking is, where am I supposed to worship? And I mean, we could assume and say, maybe she's had some type of interaction with, with her own prayers where none of her prayers are answered and she's frustrated. She's like, maybe I'm not supposed to worship on this mountain anymore. Maybe I'm supposed to be worshiping in Jerusalem. But as a Samaritan, I know that I'm not welcome there. So where am I supposed to worship? And many of us, we do the same exact thing. We say, where am I supposed to worship? Now, if you're sitting in here, you chose to worship here. And so when you got up in this morning, when either, whether you use a conscious decision or not, you said, where am I going to worship today? I'm going to worship at Shady Grove. I'm, I'm going to worship there. And we all ask ourselves this, when you're, in a place where you're looking for a different church, you kind of get up and you're like, where am I going to worship today? Where am I going to worship today? And we all ask ourselves these questions. Now, the place is a church. Typically, it's during Sunday morning. For some of us, it's Wednesday night too. And for others, it's maybe even throughout the days. 
but it shouldn't be our focus on where. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at. You're asking me where we're supposed to worship. I'm going to give you why you're supposed to worship. You're asking where we're supposed to worship. I'm going to give you a reason to worship. Because it's not about where. It's about your attitude towards God when you worship. And so Jesus responds by saying, there's a time that's coming where you're not going to worship the Father on the mountain or in the temple. You'll worship in spirit and in truth. Meaning it doesn't matter where you worship, it's all about worshiping in the spirit and truth wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Now, if you've been raised in church or you've been around church, you've probably heard a pastor say, just worship in spirit and in truth. Do you actually know what that means? Some of you probably do, and you probably have a better answer than me. But I'm, I'm going to try and guide you through this. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? And it's important because God desires that. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. So here's why, how we worship in spirit. Worshiping in spirit can mean one of two things. I think it's a little bit of both, so I'm going to give you both. First, worshiping in the Spirit is worshiping in union with the Holy Spirit. Worshiping in the Spirit is worshiping in union with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended into heaven after the death and resurrection, he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You find this in Matthew. In the end of Matthew, he says, Unto myself I give to you the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit... Is here wherever we go. He's here to help us through life. He guides us through interpreting scripture. And he provides a connection between heaven and earth. He provides the connection in our prayers so that we can pray directly to God himself. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 3, he wrote this. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. For we worship by the Spirit of God. For we who worship, sorry, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. And so Paul, in that, calls us to worship by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. Now, in some translations, you'll find that worship is actually serve. And that's a whole nother sermon. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but we worship in how we serve God. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, Paul writes this to Timothy. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted in you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, which tells us that the Holy Spirit is living in us, and it's through him that we worship. It's our union with the Holy Spirit. It's our closeness with the Holy Spirit through salvation that we can join him in heavenly worshiping with our God. Now, if you're here during our Revelation series, you probably remember me talking about this thing called the convergent space. What the convergent space, in just a nutshell, is, is it's a moment in time where a congregation, where a group of people worship together, worship God together, and heaven comes down to earth. And heaven and earth meet in that moment. And and when you worship, you have this moment where it's like you're experiencing heaven, but you're here on earth. 
but we also worship in our own spirit. And this is the second thing. We, we worship in the spirit of God, but we also worship in our own spirit because all of us have a spirit. And this is typically what we like to describe as our heart because, you know, spirit kind of sounds like a weird dimension. Heart is something that we can relate to. So it's worshiping with our heart, which also means that if we're truly worshiping God, our heart has to be aligned with the Father. Our heart has to be aligned with the heart of God to truly worship. And so when we worship in spirit, it's emotional and affectionate, and it's full of passion. You see, you should feel something when you worship God. You don't always have to express it, right? I'm terrible at expressing emotions. It's how I was wired. I don't express my emotions very well. And so in my worship, my worship typically reflects that. I don't, I'm not super emotional on the outside, but on the inside I am most of the time. And so when we're truly worshiping, there should be a feeling inside of you. And it's when you think about who you're actually worshiping. Let me give you an example. If you've ever taken a moment in your life, and I've done this uh, several times, to just acknowledge and to think about and ponder on how much you love your spouse, how much you love your kids, how much you love your family members, how much you love your friends. When you think about and you start to really dwell on that, does it not make you a little bit emotional to think about how they're, they're going through their life and you're, you're proud of them, you love them, and you're seeing all of that, but then... We might not express it on the outside, but on the inside, it gives you a little bit of emotion. Worshiping the creator of the universe who sent his son to die on the cross for you and to rise again so that you could be saved from the wrath of God, you could be saved from the, the wages of your sin, and that with the union of the Holy Spirit should stir something inside of you when you begin to worship. It's when we focus our eyes just on Christ and we dwell on what he's truly done for you and me. What the Holy Spirit does in this union is awakens us to the goodness of God in our own life. He shows us the beauty and the majesty of him. And with that, it naturally makes us emotional when we worship. And I guarantee I know what you mean, or, or you know what I mean. Remember those old-time revivals? Maybe even a revival in a tent where people were flooding the altar. Emotions were, were raising really high. You got the, what I call, Jesus chills. Like, you got the chills and everything. You remember those moments? Did you know that's supposed to happen every week? Here? That feeling, that emotion, that type of worship is supposed to happen here every week. And it's not that we're trying to just summon the Spirit and create this emotional and affectionate and amazing atmosphere, but it's all of us together focusing on who God truly is and what He's done for us. It's placing our full attention on Him, and it's when we do that that the worship atmosphere begins to happen. You see, what's so different from revivals than week to week sometimes 
is that revivals, we expect the Spirit, but Sunday morning, we expect people. You have to come to church expecting to feel and experience the Holy Spirit. You have to come expecting to be moved by worship. And when you do that, it will create an atmosphere of worship in your own heart and in your own life, and other people will see it. And they will look, new, newcomers will come, and unbelievers, unchurched people will come, and they'll see us worshiping together, and they'll be like, I want that water. I want the water that they're drinking. I want the water that they have, because it's drastically different than anything else that they've ever experienced. And then we worship in truth, because we can't just worship in the Spirit and forget about the truth. Our worship in the Spirit is when we focus on who He is and what He's done, but our worship in truth is when we focus on the truth of God's word while we're praising him. This is our call to worship with good sound doctrine. Meaning while we worship, we must also be aware of the truth of God's word. And not every worship song, not every hymnal has good theology and doctrine. And that might shock some of you, but it's true. If you really look at the words and what they're saying, sometimes, not, not all the time, but sometimes you'll see that it doesn't actually line up with Scripture at all. And so, when you're grounded in the truth, you can see that and you won't sing it. The problem is, is that so many churches separate the two. Churches across America, they separate the two. Either they worship in spirit or they worship in truth. When they worship... Focus, and they focus their worship on truth. Worship is boring. It's uneventful. It's unemotional. But you know that you're singing what's true. And that's good enough for you. And, and then when you leave, you're not moved to do anything. It's, it's like what you've probably heard many, many pastors say. Is that you can know everything about God that there is to know. But if you aren't moved by what you know then you're not going to make it to heaven. Your knowledge of good sound doctrine does not save you, but it's important. Because the churches that focus on the Spirit are highly emotional. They feel like worship. They look like worship, but they're not worship. Because they're singing things that aren't aligning with the truth of God's Word. They're singing about a different Jesus. Whether they realize it or not, and so it's not good enough to just look and feel like worship. It has to be true worship grounded in the truth of God's word. But don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. Because in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus brings up a passage from Isaiah. And in verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And you and this is the Pharisees. He attends a, a worship service and he sees how the Pharisees are worshiping. They're focused mainly on the truth. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, worshiping in the truth without the Spirit is worthless. Worshiping in the Spirit without truth is also worthless. It does nothing for you. It adds no value except for maybe a good feeling. 
True and proper worship comes from putting your full attention on God's heart and on His Word in your everyday life. And so I encourage you to come back to the heart of worship in your life. To take this moment and every moment of your life to place your full, undivided attention on God. And as far as the church that I mentioned at the beginning, the church that stopped singing the music, that they... Well, they didn't stop singing, but they stopped singing with music until they learned to worship God. This was for a season of their life. They didn't have any instruments, no sound system. It was just their voices. That church, it took time for them to find the heart of worship, but they did. And one of the more popular songs in the early 2000s came from that called Heart of Worship by Matt Redman. That was his church. He was the worship leader at that church. And it was through that season that he wrote this song, Heart of Worship. This is also the same guy that we sing his song sometimes, 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord. He, he would go on to release 16 albums and write and record popular songs. He'd even plant a few churches in his day. And so I chose not to have songs before the sermon today because I want you to leave feeling like you missed something. I want you to leave feeling like something was missing and I want you to truly take this week to worship God. And when I say something feels a little bit different, something felt a little bit off after you leave, it's not that we didn't sing, it's that we didn't worship before we heard from God. And I, and I know that sometimes, at least in my life, God takes things away so that I appreciate it more. And so... That, that moment that we normally have before the sermon, took that away. And it's for you to go back and say, did I really miss anything? Did I, have I really been worshiping? Did I feel like I'm disconnected with God because I left and we didn't worship before? These are things that I want you to reflect on as you leave. Sometimes in our life, we don't realize what we're actually taking advantage of until we don't have it anymore. We all know that all so true. This is what church is like without worship. We come, we give, we hear, we leave. I want to encourage you today to put your full attention on God. To worship Him in spirit and in truth to worship Him with your words and then sing with your heart.